disclaimer the episode you are about to listen to describes horrific scenes of violence towards women and other bodily functions this episode will be discussing jack the ripper in gory detail so if you are a underage listener we advise that you listen under the care of adult or ask for questions afterwards um viewers please be advised before continuing into the episode thank you hello everybody and welcome back to operation history a podcast where history is more than what you remember it's been a while and it's glad to be back and we're glad to be back tonight's episode is special because it is spooky and not only that the digital round table is almost completely filled uh tonight we have derek hello we also have the host of tonight's episode, Maria. Hello. And by the sound of my voice, it is me, David. Unfortunately, Lauren cannot be with us tonight, but she sends her regards and her spooky spirit along with us. So without any further ado, I'm going to stop talking and hand the mic over to Maria. All righty. Thank you, Dave. So... It is October, it is spooky season, and if everyone knows me, they know I love a good theming, good opportunity to do some theming episodes. So this has been one of the uh, topics that since we came up with this podcast that I put out there that I wanted to cover, and today we are going to be talking about Jack the Ripper. Jack the Ripper is one of those spooky stories that I think because it was never solved, he looms large in horror and sci-fi and history and all this other stuff. And I never realized it was such a rich topic to explore from a historical standpoint because it is so deeply embedded in pop culture and and how it became sensationalized so i'm excited are you guys excited yeah i'm always i'm always excited for spooky spooky and i I usually don't do spooky i'm much more of the happy bunnies and butterflies person but (laughs) let's uh let's dive into this um so did so let's i'm gonna turn this back over to you guys from all right. So so when approaching Jack the Ripper, would you normally before this podcast episode approach him from a more historical standpoint or from a more pop culture standpoint? That's an interesting question because it really supposes on the idea of is Jack the Ripper actually a historical figure because there is there is some evidence that points that it is a single person but that is not totally conclusive the, there is factual evidence that even f- of the five um i believe they're fo- called the five canonical women um even of the five there is discrepancies that could be from different murderers which it's also in the middle of victorian england that there's going to be people killing a lot. <laughs> oh, we were going to get into that in a second. Um, but yes. How about you, Dave? Or not, not to cut you off, Derek. So typically, I want to give you my real answer, and then I'm going to give you the answer to your question. I would not touch Jack the Ripper with a 10-foot pole, um, especially with the way society, at least our society, rather normalizes and embraces violence and what he represents is the pinnacle of violence so i wouldn't because i don't think we should be normalizing that behavior that being said i would approach this from more of a social historical perspective because he does represent what's wrong with victorian england he kind of embodies that so i would approach it for more from that angle before he this. definitely he definitely embodies that but even i would i would agree with you that even at the time uh even though the murders were heavily sensationalized by both more respectable and less respectable uh publications at the time i think that was what made them 
so able to be sensationalized is that I'd be hard pressed to find somebody then or now that doesn't sensationalize it for the reasons of, Hey, this is wrong. Like, look at this, this is disgusting. And you know, the bodies are mutilated, but okay. So the two, the two things that I am coming to the table with heavy leaning on is um, I have two books in front of me that kind of kicked off this uh, interest in Jack the Ripper. And one of them is by a really well-known historian uh, in her field, is even out of her field, is uh, Judith R. Walkowitz, City of Dreadful Delight, Narratives of Sexual Danger in Late Victorian London. And a professor of mine at my school actually recommended from this book to me when I was working on a project. And she did, she dedicates an entire book of this an entire book, an entire chapter of this book to just Jack the Ripper and the murders. It's published by uh, Chicago University Press and it's from the late 80s, early 90s. I think it's 1992. This book came out. Um, but to kind of, and then the other one I'm using is um, Joan Perkins. Joan Perkin, I'm sorry, not Perkins, Joan Perkin, Victorian Women. And this one is by Cambridge University Press. And this one also uh, came out around the same time of late 80s, mid 90s. And she doesn't go into Jack the Ripper too much. She only really devotes a page to him. But if anybody out there is looking for more about Victorian women, this is a really good broad because she covers all different walks of life and all different uh, topics. So that's a really good uh, general Victorian women source. The other one, the Wolkowitz one is a great cultural source. But so to kind of give a little bit of a, a, a background to this topic, um, sexuality and vice were things that had been covered in the Victorian, not covered, presented in the Victorian era, but they were always taboos. Um, there is a journalist, W.T. Stead, who was one of the first people to practice uh, investigation journalism. And in the in 1885, which is right before this, he had published this article, The Maiden Tribute of Modern Babylon, which is also covered in Walkowitz's book. And it talked about um, vice and sexual taboos and um, uh, what do you call it? Underaged prostitution in London. So this is something, the idea of prostitution in London, um, I'm sure almost anybody knows this. Uh, it's something that was out there and very prevalent in, in their society. And the area that the Jack the Ripper murders take place in Whitechapel, uh, Walkowitz goes into it pretty in depth, is Whitechapel was one of those areas of London that was kind of known for being a really crappy area of town, but it was a crappy area that a lot of people both from lower classes and higher classes frequented. And it was also very popular amongst refugees, especially ethnic refugees, homeless, prostitutes. So the area is a big conglomerate melting pot. So the murders took place over the course of 10 weeks. There are small consistent facts that go throughout the murders and like we said the canonical five and the first one i think took the so they took place between august 31st and november 9th in 1888 so 10 weeks there were five murders as we said but there were only four events one of them was a double murder and they all took place in highly densely populated areas and it's it was noted even back then that because the areas were so densely populated that the kills had to be quick and efficient. Uh, all of them have no witnesses, very like we said, very little consistent clues. And 
I think this is something that you two are going to bring up in your research, but in the older research I was looking at, it was concluded that all but one was a prostitute. The last one, Kelly, um, one of the sources I have says that she like moonlighted as a prostitute, which wasn't something that was uncommon, but I think, I, I don't know who it was, Dave or Derek, one of you has more modern uh, historical research that says that not necessarily all four of the other girls were prostitutes. Cause that's one of the only things that links these women together. Uh, yeah. For me, I did, uh, I did do some research into, um, Kelly, I believe, was um, she she had been living with, I believe, one of the suspected uh, possible uh, Jack the Ripper identifiers, um, like possibly Jack the Ripper himself there. There wasn't sure because they, they obviously never caught him. Um, but for a while, she had been forced into uh, a life of prostitution to pay bills but after uh, the first couple murders I believe she stopped uh, mm. as I'm sure most women were very hesitant to continue that line of work you know in fear for their life um, but I believe he had lost his job uh, the, the possible ripper suspect had lost his job and she needed to go back into the practice um but pretty much soon as she went back in uh that is when she was also murdered she's the only one that was murdered in her bed right yes it, yeah. it, i believe uh the research that i said um she was possibly sleeping um and the uh the police had also said that it the the likelihood that most of the prostitutes knew the person that was murdering um, was high because otherwise it would have been hard for someone to get as close as the murderer did to most of these women. So right. it is a likelihood that at right. least the, the Ripper knew the people that he was killing. Right, right. And and Walkowitz goes heavy, heavy into this in, in her chapter. Um, the sus... The sus- <laughs> the suspicion around who the murderer could be. Um, there were all sorts of, they didn't know if it was somebody of highborn stature who had a lot of lust vices and taboos who frequented prostitutes. Um, they didn't, there was heavy xenophobia that was attached to it, especially uh, regarding people of Jewish descent or um middle middle eastern european because that there were a lot of refugees in that area of london in whitechapel there was a heavy jewish population and a lot of um eastern europeans well what added to that was also the note that was dropped on uh, re right near one of the bodies with the apron um mm -hmm. that uh said something to the effect of jewish men will never um, be be blamed or something to that effect. I can't remember the exact wording. Uh, like old, old Victorian speech. Oh yeah, oh yeah, all the good stuff. <laughs> but well, um, yeah, yeah. Um, even just Victorian, it it's so interesting in that society because, on the whole, at one point, uh, not to get ahead of our research, but like at one point they started, this became such a public, you know, looming public, public menace that they were conducting house to house searches for, you know, who could be the Ripper, but they never checked any residents of well-to-do born English citizens, if, I, if I've understood that correctly, because um, there was this idea that no Englishman could ever commit such a, such a despicable murder, which just, just tells you where you where you are um but, huh but not only that it looked like the police really kept to just the eastern europe uh european block of whitechapel yes. and not only that all three of the well two of the three criminals are all eastern european descendants so there was that thought of it's not one of us it is the other but also the way that Jew was spelled also gave them the impression that it was not someone from england because it was spelled not 
uh g e w but g u w which right that which they theorized was the local dialogue dialect of that area so it was someone other than british right and then some some of the more even fun and more halloween inspired uh notions of who the ripper was there were there were theories of demonic possession uh mad scientists uh, uh, Matt, or like the Mad Doctor was another one. Oh, I, I there was there was another there. very interesting one. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I had uh, in the extensive research. I was I was combing everything from historical to very non-historical. Uh, just as David just pointed out, um, yes, there was a possibility uh, that there was a conspiracy theory going around um because i had looked at both very historical things from doctors phds to conspiracy websites because i wanted to see the full range because i love as as a uh this is a cultural history it really is Mm -hmm. it's a social thing it's it's because there was such a phenomenon behind it uh they had a there's a conspiracy theory that one of the princes of the royal family had gone insane from syphilis and that was a popular one that he had gotten from that same district from the uh the prostitutes there and proceeded to murder and then was covered up by queen victoria's aides which that was a very popular one though like even in the press i'm pretty sure that one was called out yes maybe not the press but the thing being, there's, yeah. there's oh, yeah. hardly, there's nothing oh, yeah. to back it up other than... There's nothing to back it up. <laughs> the the average person in London sitting there going, oh, I believe it's the prince. Oh, yeah. Well, and it became kind of like a witch hunt, not no pun intended, but it became a witch hunt of if you knew someone who could be the Ripper, you know, turn him in and police stations were flooded with tips and at one point after the uh september 30th double murder uh there were letters anonymous letters forecasting uh future murders and possible locations and you know tips and they were all signed by jack the ripper and at one point over 350 letters were collected from in the files of Scotland Yard. So copycats ran rampant. Who know? We don't even know if the Ripper himself did it, but most likely it was copycats and wannabes. It, and, it just became such a big phenomenon that mm-hmm. I, I think it got out of the hands of the police because you, you have so many people that would be sending in these letters that any one of them could possibly be mm. the, the the person that would be called the Ripper, but the mass, know that. the mass majority are just people who are either bored. bored or pulling some disgusting prank while mm. this mm. maniac runs around the street murdering. I, I it, it's it's baffling though. That Everybody people... wants their fifteen minutes of fame. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, that that idea, I was going to get into this a little bit later, but seeing as how you brought up the prince, one of the other ideas for motives that they were floating around was, was this a revenge thing? Because syphilis and STDs, you know, not, not to get into this, but syphilis and STDs ran so so rampantly in Victorian society because prostitutes were known carriers and there was prostitution was such a big element of that society. Unfortunately, was this something that was revenge because somebody had contracted something and, you know, was, was it a, a piety of moral virtue that they need to, cut down prostitution so was it revenge was it religious you know fundamentalism and fanaticalism how do you say that five times fast um regardless of what it was it definitely had something to do with um 
sexual perversions mm. due to all the the gruesome ways that these women were killed um the amount of carnage uh the the, the tearing of the uterus out of some of the bodies it was very much intended to be focused on the sexual nature of these women rather than just their personhood yes and uh the bod these were women who during these murders were mutilated their bodies were cut open organs were ripped out organs were left on display like you said they were you know the uterus was cut out throats were slashed all all of these horrific things so these murders were photographed these are one of the first i don't know if all of them were i know the last one of kelly in her bed was was this is one of the first examples of crime scene photos I've never seen the photos. I really have no desire to, but <laughs> I can yeah. only imagine. I, I did see Kelly's photo when oh, doing did some you? research. It's it's rough. I'm sure. It, I'm all set. <laughs> I am all set. But but yeah. So I, that's that. I which I figured that was out there. But that is good to know that you know if your curiosity really strikes you, you can go and check it out. So. Yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of speculation and because of the sensationalization of the media, speculation ran rampant like we said there were far out theories of is it a royal prince or somebody well to do who has a fetish? Uh are they half crazed by some possession? Is it, you know, is it somebody who's trying to do these things to, you know, either get back at some uh, people who are engaged in prostitution or, you know, are they trying to set up the murders to draw attention to potential immigrant communities who they could pin the murders on? Um, my favorite is werewolves and vampires, because I do believe that one came up because um, somewhat related, I think in Walkowitz's book, she talks about how Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the play had just came come out either the year before or some sometime very close to this. And that was also fueling um, the sensational reports that just allowed speculation and imagination to merge together and run wild. I think that's one of the more interesting things to me is just the amount of speculation that just took off well it's it's what the public does when there is no clear mm. answer mm. if a large mass of people are told there is something horrendous going on but not told exactly why or who's doing it mm. they're going to come up with their own theories one way or another um it, it happens for every kind of case like this um mm look at like the zodiac killer that yes. you had people claiming well you know i don't think it's what the police were drawing i think it's someone that looks like this it mm. was a woman it was an old man it, that was another one that is it a woman oh yes that was that was another uh conspiracy theory that like it, mm -hmm. it's a possibility that it's a woman because she would be able to uh go through the lines and because they're looking for a man, man who's wearing, you know, a dapper coat and a mustache. Right. right. Um, there was talk of her being a, um, might have been like a, a, a nurse or something, because if she had blood on her, it wouldn't seem that crazy because, you know, right. if, if she was doing uh, any kind of surgeries or <laughs> doctoral or work. work. Yeah. That it would have just been, oh, well, you know, she's a nurse. It's fine. But butchers and doctors were under the same speculation because, again, they're in professions where it wouldn't be super uncommon for them to come in contact with blood. So if they were bloodied, that that was another group of people that they were looking at by profession. But go, going back to the public, one of the things that uh, I also found kind of intriguing in my research was the public's the public's reaction uh was 
was just what you would expect it to be because on, on one hand they have, or on one, on one hand you see the, the whole notion of nobody's safe, you know, don't go out alone, don't go out at night. But then the other, the other flip side is what humanity does best. And uh, groups of girls would be walking down the street, uh, recorded screaming at their lungs. I'm, I'm Jack's next victim, or I'm the one the Ripper is looking for. And then um, in another, in another one, uh, that was heard in domestic disputes between husbands and wives was, I guess, a common saying at the time became, I will white chapel you. So, oh, so, 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 so the, 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 the space between the public reactions are fantastic. Um, there's a, it, and it becomes a tale of piety and virtue because I, I don't know if it's called Mother Meets Jack the Ripper or or if it's something else. And I, I think I heard this in one of the books. There was a story that a woman told one night where her husband was working late or her husband, her husband wasn't in the picture. She was a single mother and she stepped out because one of her children was sick and she stepped out to go get medicine and it or, or to wake the doctor and it was very late at night and she encounters a shrouded hooded figure or darkened figure in an alley and he questions her you know why are you out late and she she almost has to prove her she has to prove her innocence and virtue and she tells him you know i'm just going to get the doctor for my kid i'm i'm not not a prostitute and he lets her go that's the moral of the story is he lets her go and she she lives to tell her tale type type situation so it it becomes in the both the press and i guess in legend this story of virtue and piety yeah i mean that that also could be completely fabricated 100% in order to, 100% you know, you know for further a goal it's oh well you know yeah she's not being a prostitute so jack didn't have to kill her exactly. you know maybe he's an anti-hero he's someone yes. that's clearing our streets of crime that was another one that was thrown out there is you know again if it's if he's going after the people of Whitechapel and that's who he's terrorizing he's not he's not terrorizing the prestige of london so who cares? <laughs> this is what I need. I need Punisher. The Punisher Marvel as Jack the Ripper. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> you know? oh, God, no. This is, well, this is something that I was going to, you know, get into later. But you, you say that and you laugh. But Jack the Ripper is still something that we talk about and we, that we still find fascination with. Um, the people at the people out there can't see it, but. Dave and Derek can is uh this book was just published in this is a fiction book so with me um I know I've tweeted about this but I don't think I've ever said it on the podcast is I either read super serious stuff by historical scholars or pure fiction and this book I just bought it's a little bit older than I thought it's from 2017 and it's called Stalking Jack the Ripper, and it's by Kerry Maniscalco, but it's from James Patterson's press. It's a young adult uh, story, and the back of it says, he murdered women in cold blood, he terrorized an entire city, he taunted those of us who hunted him down, but despite all these horrors, in the end, I could not deny it. I was the girl who loved the Ripper. Oh. Boy. And I was sold. I was sold. Oh, uh, like, yeah, sure. that's that's real fun. That's, yeah, oh, yeah. 100%. But it's, you know, I mean, James Patterson, this is right up his alley. This is 100% up his alley. I don't know if it's good, if anybody out there has read it and, you know, you can tell me yay or nay. But for 10 bucks, sure, why not? <laughs> but yeah, give it a try. So, yeah, give it a try. It was 10 bucks. So good beach read, but that's what I mean. Like this is something I thought this book was a little bit newer, but yeah, 2017 but... wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah. Keep telling yourself that. Uh... <laughs> I, 
Hush. Yeah, but no, it, it is still something that is like encapsulating the entirety mm-hmm. of society because it, you find these kinds of stories of people hoping to be, you know, magnum, uh, uh, some sort of insanely talented serial killer where they can go and not be discovered their whole life and you know murder all they please just like either jack the ripper or the zodiac killer but it's it's these people that look at these and take the complete wrong take from them not oh this is terrible (laughs) we shouldn't have this it's hey these guys got away with it (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was the girl who loved the Ripper. Um, well, and, and Walkowitz goes into this in her epilogue. Uh, it's almost neither here nor there, but she talks about the Yorkshire Ripper or Yorkshire Ripper. I don't, I don't know how the, the correct pronunciation, but the Yorkshire Ripper who, but it's essentially a copycat. It's somebody who did the same. It was 1980. So it was the 80s. And between nineteen between October nineteen seventy five and January of nineteen eighty one, uh, there was a mass murderer who's going around doing the same type of stuff, but instead of notes, he would leave taped messages to the authorities. And I believe he was still going after prostitutes too, and I think. Unlike the Jack the Ripper, I think this one was actually caught. <laughs> I'm pretty yes. sure that I'm yes, pretty sure was. she goes into the trial of that one. Actually, I believe he died of COVID nineteen in 2020. No shit. Yep. Are you serious? That's that's how... the first thing that I see. It's poetic almost. <laughs> irony. Anyway, irony, poetic, but yes. So there was even a modern day copycat. Or what we would historians would call modern day, nineteen eighty. That was forty That's years my, ago. You know, it's, it's thirty-five, it's forty-five years, years ago. Years after. Yeah, it's just, yeah. Well, actually, it is because nineteen eighty-five, eighteen eighty-five, yeah. So, so it it's something that is captivating due to the and it's captivating for all the wrong reasons. You know, the gruesome nature of the murders, the fact that. Most of these women were in the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, there's no clear motive. We still don't even know what links these women together, other than the fact that, unless I'm wrong and you guys have newer research, is that they're supposed prostitutes. So some of them were confirmed prostitutes. Some of them were moonlighting as prostitutes, which wasn't uncommon at all if people of certain classes, you know, were needed a little extra income or they had lost their job for the season or lost their job in general prostitution was definitely something that people did to make ends meet um the one thing i came across in my research and i i don't know if this could potentially play into why the ripper stopped is in whitechapel a vigilante group is created from concerned middle-class citizens Mm -hmm. now because they saw the police as defective which i'll get to that in a little bit and the reasons why the police were totally goofed and which leads into the reason why jack was never found is a vigilante group who is middle-class and upper-class citizens get together and try to one pay to have a reward for any information brought forward but they also get together to try and find the Ripper themselves. So that could be another reason. And I know there's a lot of theories on why the Ripper stopped, but Mm. in any of the research I've done, it's always been they committed the crime or they went to an asylum. Not that they were actually caught by the vigilantes and street justice. The asylum one was one that I had heard. There's, um, There's something I was watching once called the Infographics Show, and I have no idea how reliable they are i don't put a lot of stock into them because they while they try to do history stuff they also do conspiracy theories and doomsday scenarios but one of the ones when they did the i am jack the ripper video uh they had they had pinpointed it to that supposedly the person who they were 
one of the people who they were thinking of had gone into an asylum for psychiatric issues. And that's coincidentally around the times the murders had stopped. So, but I had heard the asylum one before that. I also mm-hmm. think it's convenient that the three main suspects, uh, Montag Drut, uh, Michael Ostrog, and Aaron Kosminski, are all three magically thrown into an asylum around the same time. Mm-hmm. And there's no evidence to point which one's actually the ripper. So the police are like, eh, it could be one of you three. And it also doesn't. It also doesn't help that those are three non, those are not British names. So again, that foreign or what would be the foreign element of xenophobia and suspect. So yeah, xenophobia and speculation are at a crossroads over there. There was also the um, possibility there was a couple of suspects that had actually died uh right around the same time Mm -hmm. that the ripper killing stopped which that would also definitely stop someone from continuously killing if they are no longer alive to commit the killing so there is a lot of possible reasons that if it was a singular killer that they had stopped whether they were thrown in an asylum died or just moved out of the area due to worries of um, any kind of, you know, police force or this vigilante group finding them. Um, They were people that just, they, they, they were very intent on trying to get to the bottom of this. Um, I do know that they were sent a letter. uh, What a few letters. But I'm pretty sure, was the From Hell letter sent to them, or was that sent to a different person? I can't quite remember off the top of my head. Tell us, and I'll try to see if I can find it. Okay. The the detective force at the time had been reorganized 10 years earlier than that, so they were not in a good place to find Jack the Ripper, um, but also was filled with infighting and... Um, backstabbing. So there was no real drive to find this person. There was no real community effort on the police end uh, to find Jack the Ripper either. Um, And some of the other research I did was the police morale was low at the time. So there's no one really, I'm going to find this person for the good of community. It's like, I just want to get done with work and go home. Like I'm done with the day. Um. And to talk about the speculation a little bit more, uh, the media and police were not on good terms whatsoever. So instead of the police filling the media with good information or stuff that they could use, um, the media was allowed to kind of go their own way and try and develop their own stories or what they think was correct. Uh, And yes, the From Hell letter was actually sent to... uh... George Lusk, who was the head of the uh, Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, uh, the the band of vigilantes uh, that was going around hoping to to spot the Ripper. Um, but that that letter was sent with a human kidney. Uh, right. Just... <laughs> was it wasn't there an element of cannibalism that the yeah there was something about claimed, cannibalism? Yeah, yeah. The the Ripper had claimed that you know he ate the other kidney and he was sending that one in sort of a threat (laughs) to the committee of hey stop trying to find me otherwise that's you uh but wasn't that threat kind of made good on um well it, it depends on what your definition of that is something wasn't there a murder that to one of the murders took place like immediately after that that could but that's the question of is that circumstantial evidence Mm. or is that you know just very 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 lucky timing 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 because um it, it is unsure with the lettering of the actual letter of if it was 
the same writing as the original Ripper letter. Uh, this that's why this entire field has like uh, any kind of writing analysis. They 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 love this case so much because they have hundreds of letters to just kind of sort through and like try to find you know how people like you know use a Y or an A the same. They're they're trying to find grammar and any kind of prose within the writing that is similar so it's hard to tell if it's the same person writing especially realistically if the person is smart enough they might try to change up writing style or you know make it seem like they're writing weird um to try to shake off the police but this was definitely someone who wanted the attention so that's not what they would be looking for Right. And then um, just another another thing out there, if anybody is interested, uh, there is a great book on Victorian uh, crime control that I also because I I didn't when I when I was working on this project, I didn't necessarily go into it looking at prostitution and and society Uh, that that topic kind of worm wormed its way to the surface. Um, but one of the books I was considering when I was initially looking at my, you know, topic ideas was crime control and everyday life in the Victorian society. I'm sorry, crime control and everyday life in the Victorian city, the police and the public. And it's by David Churchill, who is a lecturer at the university of Leeds and there's an audiobook version out there for anybody who likes audiobooks as well as regular books. And it's not published by an academic press, but considering he's associated with the University of Leeds, I think it's pretty safe. Um, that book, I did start reading quite a bit of it. And I have the audiobook as well. I haven't finished it, but um, it does go very much like what Into Dave was talking about, about you know, police breakdown, morale, and just the way they would, just the way the police functioned in that society internally and externally. So if that's something that interests you, I would check out that book. But yeah, so, um, you know, one of the things we, that's kind of all I've got. Uh, Like I was saying, it, they never, like we were saying, they never solved the murders. So to this day, we still don't know who did it. There are a thousand and one suspicious leads, but at the end of the day, we still have no idea who did this. Oh, that segue is very good into my uh, one of my big points, if not my last point of this. Um, around, I believe, 2019, uh, a book had come out from the author uh, Russell Edward, uh, called Naming Jack the Ripper, um, where Edward uh, claimed that he had conclusive evidence, uh, which uh, was a shawl that he had found that was bought that apparently had been owned by one of the victims, I believe it was Edo's, um, and it would both have Edo's blood on it, as well as seminal fluid from the original Ripper, uh, and both could be conclusively found by a biologist and studied and matched perfectly to ancestors of both people, and boom, we would find this. And he was talking so much absolute... (laughs) He was talking such a big game in the press about this, uh, to any kind of historical uh, books that would hear him, he was claiming this is the biggest find of this case ever because we have conclusive evidence. I understand why he thought this. (laughs) At the time, Uh the biologist he had worked with had found evidence of the blood there was a mutation in the blood that only, I think it was like one in 200,000 people have. So it's a very rare mutation in blood. Okay. Mind you, that, that is very, very, very rare to find. And yeah. it so haps that one of the descendants 
of I believe it was Edo's had this same gene. So this is already a great find. And then he had found in the seminal fluid some kind of uh, match to, I believe it was, uh, how do you even say his name? Kaminsky, right? Yeah. Um, Kaminsky's descendant saying it must be those two. So it has to be Kaminsky that was the Ripper. In before, (laughs) it was found out that the mutation that he had found in the blood was not the mutation that he thought. It was off by a single number, which made it be from one in every 200,000 people to around 99% of all Europeans. So anyone from any part of Europe, you know, your average person in the middle of, you know, Austria, the random, you know, Wiener Schnitzel guy in, you know, uh, uh, Belgium, anything. Which all could have been people in Whitechapel. It could have. It could have. Any European, like we said, really would have had this. That that area is, especially in Wolkowitz, goes into it pretty heavily in her chapter, is that area of London, that Whitechapel area, was just a hotbed of immigrants. And just everybody, everybody but, and even English poor. So English poor, as well as refugees, and then immigrants. So it, it also hasn't helped um, that both, uh, well, the, the biologist that had done this study has still mm-hmm. not released his study mm-hmm. to be peer reviewed. Mm-hmm. Um, so the quote unquote conclusive evidence. Evidence. <laughs> it's, um, shoddy at best yeah (laughs) i i i would i will eat my left shoe if uh we we find in the next hundred years conclusively who jack the ripper was i don't go on record saying this (laughs) but only that some of the forensic evidence that we have from that time would have already degraded at this point so even if there is other forensic stuff besides the blood and the semen um it's going to deteriorate to the point where it's not usable. So I find it rather shocking that stuff is still magically around a hundred years to this point. But not only that, the interesting thing about the shawl is from some of the research that I've done, there's no full evidence that that shawl was actually present at the murder. (laughs) Because it's not something that a common person would have. It's something that a upper class person would have. But also they were saying they're trying to paint something else. I mean, that is an Eastern European item that's made. It's not made in Europe. But right. again, if you're in a district where you have Eastern Europeans, of course, that's around. But the other mm-hmm. part is it's upper class. So right. there's a lot of that isn't the shoe doesn't fit as as some of us would say, the glove doesn't fit. Even if we do have blood and, you know, forensic evidence that was collected, even if it has deteriorated, what were the conditions that it was collected in? There's no, with, with the evolution of forensic studies that we know has happened, I would almost bet, I would bet $100 that it was collected in a contaminated way, which already makes it inconclusive and unusable. Well, that's that's the other part too. Any forensic evidence they have is poison. Yeah. Because they didn't know how to handle it back then. You have different heat conditions. They also don't know how long the body's been there or who's been in that area after the crime's committed. Yeah, who touched it, what happened to it. So yeah, there's just the evidence is so inconclusive and it's been so long that unfortunately, this this one will most likely remain a mystery for a very long time. I just want to say, just because there's a lot of interest around serial killers right now, I want to preference that we are not idolizing this mm-hmm. person at all. I'm, I'm guessing you can get that from the conversation that we've had today, but I just want to make sure that I put that out there, that we're interested in the social conditions and what led to this event. 
we're not interested in we are interested but we're not we're not trying to highlight or romanticize what this person has done at the end of the day five people confirmed or killed which is marianne nicholas annie chapman elizabeth strive Catherine kate edos and mary jane kelly and this episode is more about them and what led to this event in the aftermath as opposed to idolizing the Ripper himself or themselves. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. We appreciate all of our listeners and the support that we have received. Please rate, download, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. It is a small and simple thing that you can do to help out the show in a big way. If you would like to interact with us, there are several ways that you can do so. You can reach us at our Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Operation Hist. You can shoot us an email at operationhistorypodcast at gmail.com, or you can view us on our website, operationhistorypodcast.wordpress.com. All of our sources and show notes from this episode will be uploaded to the episode. Thanks again for joining us, and this is Operation History, signing off. Do 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 do